0: Cairo, Seattle.
1: It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton,
0: and welcome to Schooled with the Professor. We got lots to talk about here, particularly after all the crazy weather that uh, affected Western Washington, but also all the weather that's affecting the Seahawks after that bad game that they played on uh, on Saturday, losing to the Rams. And joining us is Danny. Danny Kelly from the ringer. And so Danny, I guess, uh, has been kind of an eventful week. I guess we start on the positive side, you know, John Snyder getting a contract extension through the 2027 draft. And that's something I'm not surprised it happened. I just was surprised it took this long.
1: Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I, I wonder if they, uh, floated that Lions story out to the, to the media. to like, kind of like spur the Seahawks along. Cause I guess he was going into the off season without a contract or whatever. So, um, I think yeah, it, it's good for the Seahawks. It's good for their continuity. I, you know, we've seen Schneider and Carroll have done a pretty good job of working in concert. And, and you know, obviously nobody, no two GM and, and coach are going to agree on everything. But it seems like they're pretty much in, in step in, in terms of what they want to get out of other players. So, I think it's probably definitely a good thing for the Seahawks in the long term to to lock that up. And, and you know, it's not something that they have to worry about anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly, because now you've got the coach signed to 215, you've got uh, John Snyder signed to the uh, two, 2027 draft. And, you know, like all, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we, we've seen so much GM movement and a lot of the deals are now starting to get done. George Patton or Payton going over to Denver and, you know, Brad Holmes going to Detroit and, you know, we'll see how quickly the other jobs keep going. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> John Snyder deserves to be, if not the highest paid GM, one of the highest paid.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there there was a couple of drafts here and there where the Seahawks really just didn't do that well, but I think that's just kind of the the overall just uncertainty and, and unpredictability of the draft. I mean, pretty much every good GM has had a few bad drafts here and there, but I think the the body of his work, not just in the draft but in free agency and what they've done to build competitive teams year in year out, um, I think you cannot overlook that. Um, obviously, for for some fans, probably it's like a, the grass is always greener on the other side for. Um, people who might look at some of their bad drafts, but, you know, I think generally speaking overall, they've done a really good job of, like I said, continuing to build competitive rosters year after year. So um, I think it's just, yeah, it's good for the Seahawks. It's one less thing to like one less complication to worry about. They can go into the off season and, And start now basically on on building their plan for the next year instead of having to do like a search and all that stuff
0: yeah of course there is a search going on right now for an offensive coordinator with Brian Schottenheimer uh, going how did you read what happened there
1: Uh, it's very interesting because you know obviously on one hand the Seahawks had one of the better offenses that they've had you know in terms of scoring points and and all that but um, I think it the way that they played in the second half of the season kind of sealed Schaheimer's fate in terms of like they just didn't do a good job of of adapting and figuring out what was going on with their passing game it just wasn't working over the final eight games and I think you know based reading between the lines a little bit with what Carol was saying at the end of the year like they probably he probably wants to run the ball a little bit more frequently and also just was disappointed with the fact that they couldn't have, and they didn't have any answers for getting Wilson going. Obviously, you know he struggled over the final eight games, and really there was, it, did, it didn't seem like they had any solutions to what was going on. So I think that's a big part of what the job of an offensive coordinator is: is if your quarterback is struggling, find a way to get him going. And a, and a quarterback, especially at the caliber of Russell Wilson, where he's never really had a stretch this bad in his career. Yeah, so no, I think that was pretty much like what got this like going is that that final eight games.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. So <clears throat> how did you read, then, uh, what is going to happen uh, as far as the let Russ Cook theory goes? Because my <laughs> big concern on yeah. the let Russ Cook was that uh, it was going to get to a point where if he was doing too much, then uh, too many, too much passing, there'd be too many turnovers, and that's what ended up right. happening.
1: Yeah, I think... Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that the let Russ cook thing is is dead. You know, they still did end up passing on first and second down at a pretty like high level relative to the rest of the league. Um, I don't think, you know, they're necessarily going to like revert back to the run, run pass situation that we've seen for, for years with the Seahawks before. But at the same time, I think what really changed Pete Carroll's mind was just the amount of turnovers. There was like a stretch there where Wilson had seven turnovers in two games and, um, something like nine or 10 and over three games is just, that's not the type of thing that that is tenable um, on a Pete Carroll coach team. And so I think they need to find sort of like a, a middle ground in the way that they run a balanced offense. Maybe they want to run a little bit more next year. I could see that happening, but at the same time, you know, just figure out a way to, to not turn the ball over when they're passing the ball. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see who they, who they pick for the next coordinator, because, um yeah it's, it's I, don't, I really just don't know like what Pete Carroll wants that offense to look like at the end of the day.
0: Yeah no doubt and of course what the uh, you can see is that uh, the running of the football is still important because you, know, you look at what six of the top seven teams as far as percentages of run uh are in the play made the playoffs <clears throat> and four of those teams and that includes Green Bay and New Orleans are uh, you know in that top group and they're in the d- division mm-hmm. round of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I think you know Pete Carroll. He's he's always wanted to do this his way, and that's what he believes is like the most consistent um, way to build a championship team is have that balance. And and I think we saw that a little bit this year, where when Russell Wilson started struggling, I think this is something Pete Carroll said over the years: is like you don't always want to have everything hinging on what the quarterback does. Now, is it is it difficult to win in the NFL when your quarterback is struggling? Yes, Um, but I think Pete Carroll wants the offense to have enough balance so if Wilson has a little bit of slump like this they can still get by and they can still have good um you know they can move the ball make first downs and stuff like that the run game just really didn't um it didn't it didn't do enough I guess in the second half of the year for them to like be a a true Super Bowl contender so um I think he he wants to have an offense that doesn't rely completely on Russell Wilson having a big day and um I can definitely see the logic in that.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing I think it it's so so interesting about the way the end of the season goes because you know, when when you hear the let Russ Cook theories go, sure, it did work, but then when they were playing better defenses, defenses then dropped into cover two. Uh, and if, unless they had a you know, great corner, like a Jalen Ramsey who could match up against DK Metcalf and, you know, mm-hmm. it just took away so much. And so like they ran 40.2% of the times, but you know, Russell Wilson rushed for over 500 yards, but how many of those runs were him scrambling on right, or, right. because, you know, somebody wasn't open or, you know, there was a coverage sack or all those different things.
1: Yeah, I think you know, it, looking at the Seahawks offense in our last few games, like the thing that stood out to me was very few times, and I might I might be exaggerating, but I just don't remember very many plays where Russell Wilson drop back, hit his back foot, and get the ball out to his receiver. and And I've seen people doing some all twenty two breakdowns over the last few days where Wilson has a guy open and just doesn't pull the trigger. So I think it's you know it's not just the play caller, it's not just um, the philosophy change over the second half of the year, part of it is Russell Wilson just wasn't playing very well in the second half of the year. He wasn't seeing things maybe as clearly as he, he wanted to be um, maybe he was trying not to make turnovers because obviously that's a huge, huge part of Pete Carroll's program. But um, at the end of the day, I mean like Wilson needed to pull the trigger on some throws and he, I don't think he did. So with the next, you know, the next step there is like finding a, a scheme, finding a, an offensive coordinator that can get Wilson comfortable getting the ball out more quickly. You know, Wilson and, and Carroll talked about playing with more tempo. Um, at the end of the year, they didn't they didn't play with very much tempo, and that could have been something that helped. And Pete Carroll said they didn't get the ball out quickly enough. So I think those are two areas that they're really going to focus on in the offseason is um, you know, not just the run game, but, like, supplementing the run game with a quick passing attack that can help neutralize those pass rushes mm-hmm. and, and still pick apart defenses that, like, sit back and try and take away the deep ball because they just didn't have – a very strong, I guess, like mid-range jumper. If you want to, mm-hmm. if you want to put it that way, they just didn't have that middling, um, the middle of the field game that they really needed to have to beat those defenses.
0: Then the other issue too is that, uh, you know, where are they at the running back position? Because obviously Chris mm-hmm. Carson is a very talented runner, a physical runner, much like uh, Marshawn Lynch. And Carlos Hyde did some good things, but they both missed a combined ten games. And yeah. out of that, uh, you know, in the games that Chris Carson played, he only had 144 carries, roughly 12 carries a game. You know, that's uh, that's pretty thin. And of course, I mean, yeah. Carlos Hyde had eight, roughly eight per game. And so, when your two running backs only get 20 carries, that's not enough.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be very fascinating to see because both those guys are free agents going into the off season and, and how the Seahawks end up prioritizing that position in terms of salary cap. Because with the with the cap going down this off season, and I don't know where it's going to land, but it's it's most likely going to be you know flat or go down a little bit into next year. And so they're gonna they're gonna have to decide like what our priorities are. And um, I think you nailed it though. Like, are, are they willing to give a guy like Carson a big money contract? despite the fact that he's, like, missed games in the past and he hasn't been, you know, as reliable as, like, a 20-carry type guy game in and game out. Uh, Rashad Penny's had injury history. Carlos Hyde, is, you know, he got hurt a couple times this year. So it's just going to be one of those things where, like, are they willing to give a guy that much money at a position that you can probably find a a decently strong replacement on the free agent market or in the draft? Um, I just think it's going to be fascinating to figure out, like, what they do there because I know that, they value running back position a little bit more than some teams do, and so um, I just don't know what their priority is going to be there.
0: Yeah, and of course, I mean the the one issue is going to be: do you do a long term deal? Do you do ten plus million dollars? My read on it is they probably. Prefer not to do a long-term deal because you saw yeah. what ended up happening this past year. Sure, Alvin Kamara er- earned his 15 million a year. Uh, you know, Derek Henry earned his 12 and a half, but you had Christian McCafferty at 16 mil. I mean, he barely played. Uh, Joe Mixon made 12 and a half, and he barely played. Le'Veon Bell, he was making 13. He ends up getting cut, and now is a backup uh, or, te- or temporary starter, I guess you could say, right now in Kansas yep. City yep. and there was only eight backs eight that ended up uh, having thousand yard seasons
1: yeah i just don't, like i i mean i i believe the seahawks very much value the running back position but at this point in time it's just such a risky a proposition to give a running back a big contract just because of everything you just said um you know it's a the in, injury like injuries happen more often at that position um i feel like the the cliff that some of these guys go like fall off of at the, towards the end of their career is, is very steep compared to some other positions. So like it, it could just come at any time. We saw what happened with Todd Gurley. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, if I had my druthers, I'd probably say this. You actually should grab a guy in free agency, grab a guy in a draft and, and see what they can make out of it. Um, but at the same time, you know, Chris Carson's obviously very talented and he can do some things that, you know, the average backup quarterback can't do. So it, it's a, it's a balancing act. And I agree with you though. I, I doubt, I, I, I guess my read is they probably aren't going to do a super long-term deal with guy guys because um, it's so risky.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. When you look at the, uh, the rest of the offense, I mean, clearly the Seahawks have evolved as one of the better one-two wide receiver duos with DK Metcalf becoming a Pro Bowl star and, you know, Tyler Lockett getting a hundred catches and over a thousand mm-hmm. yards. How do you kind of look at the whole receiver position and if there are any additional needs?
1: I think I think it would probably help them to have another guy, like a third guy. Maybe it's a maybe that's just a slot receiver over the middle of the field, and that kind of gets back to what I was talking about a little earlier in terms of like their quick game. Um, it didn't feel like they had anybody who could get open early in their route and, and be really reliable, um, you know, middle of the field, short and intermediate area type guy. So maybe they invest in a, in a slot receiver. Like, you know, there's going to actually be like a lot of uh, really talented receivers hitting the free agent market this offseason so like maybe it's a guy like chris godwin who has a does a little a lot of his damage in the slot maybe it's someone like that so you know obviously it's maybe not their number one need in, in, the, in the, the entire roster obviously they need to work on their defense but um having a guy like that who can get open early give russell wilson like that security blanket over the middle of the field um i think it could change things for the offense especially like on third downs. they struggled on third downs a lot this year DK Metcalf is a very dangerous deep receiver, but he's not necessarily the guy who's just going to get open really early in his route. If that makes sense, so um, I think they need. I, I do think they need a third guy to like emerge as a playmaker on those plays.
0: Yeah. What? Uh, how do you look at the defense and the amazing turnaround that it had? Because it was one of the worst defenses, if not the worst, in NFL history at the beginning of the season, and then in yeah. the second half yeah. it was top five.
1: Yeah, I think. Part of it was, you know, I think the Dunlap trade made a lot of sense and that he helped out a lot. I think getting Jamal Adams back obviously was a boost, but um, to me it's like they they sort of learned how to use Adams to his best ability and kind of like get him involved. It wasn't like blitzing every single down. It was a little more, you know, targeted and things like that. And I do think um, some of their, you know, depth pass rushers, Alton Robinson, LJ Collier showed up a little bit towards the end of the year there. Um, I think that really helped them kind of shore things up on the defensive side. But if they're going into next year, I think the priority has to be to continue to build a better pass rush because that was a big problem early on in the season. They need more depth. I think they need more difference makers. Um, and so I think that would probably be a big, you know, a big priority for them on defenses to add a couple pass rushers and, and just be able to rush with four and not have to blitz quite so often where um, you're leaving like your back end a little bit. Uh, vulnerable to deep shots, which is what we saw. Like, it's just completely out of Pete Carroll's character to be giving up so many big plays. Like, his defenses just don't do that generally. So um, I think that's going to be a big priority.
0: Yeah, no question. So you can see how that transpires. K.J. Wright, uh, I thought, had one of his best seasons, if not his best season. And yep. he's a free agent, but they also have his replacement on the roster in Cody Barton. Uh, you know, if he asked for so, so much money, what do you think ends up happening?
1: Oh my gosh, that's that's such a tough one too. Because yeah, like you said, they've invested a pretty solid amount of like draft capital and money in their linebacker group over the years. KJ Wright to me is, is a tough guy to replace, though. Like I, I don't think I would feel super confident going into the year with with Cody Barton replacing Wright. Wright is just so savvy he has a pretty unique build in the, in like his long, long arms, like he, things he can do on the edge against tight end or defensive end is, is pretty unique. Um, and I thought he did a really good job playing, you know, playing in um, kind of a new role this year. And so I just think overall his, his veteran savvy, his feel for the game, his, his unique length and everything, I think it just makes him such a valuable part of the defense. I almost feel like you should shell out for him. Um, even if it's maybe not like, right in line with your your typical um philosophy of not giving you know these aged veterans like quite so much money he feels like the kind of guy who you know it's a cliche i guess maybe like a glue guy for that defense he's just very important Mm -hmm. to
0: me yeah no doubt very much like uh you know thomas davis over when he was you know playing uh, because he just actually retired because he's so good in coverage and so good at making plays what other things do you think need to be added on defense
1: I still don't feel super confident in the cornerback situation going forward. Obviously DJ Reed coming, um, coming on this season was huge for them. I believe, uh, is Shaq Griffin, is Shaq Griffin going to be a free agent? Yes, this he is. Or is he That's shot? correct.
0: No, he's a free he he agent.
1: Has. So I don't know if he's necessarily a guy that you, you'd shell out a big money contract to either. So I, I think they do have some pretty big question marks at the cornerback position. Trey Flowers has been pretty up and down, um, you know, I think D- the fact that DJ Reed is like your guy, like kind of like your number one guy going into next year. I think they, they definitely need to kind of like figure out some depth, depth there, um, whether that's in the draft or in free agency and, and kind of get that position short up, get, get some more um, guys in there to, to compete. Because I think that was, you know, another big problem is, you know, when they're not getting pressure, it, it puts a lot of pressure. Um, you know, puts a, put a lot of pressure on the cornerbacks to cover for longer too. And so, I just don't think that, especially in the beginning, either, they weren't doing a good enough job. Um, so, I, I would say to me, that's a big one. It seems like they're pretty set at linebacker. Jordan Brooks definitely flashed as um, as a rookie. I think his role can definitely expand. Bobby Wagner, still Bobby Wagner. Um, so, to me, I think yeah, the, the back end, specifically at corner, is definitely going to be a priority for them.
0: No doubt. Hey, so what are, what do you have in the ringer right now?
1: So uh, right now I'm working on the NFL draft guide for the ringer. So that's kind of like the main focus, actually. Um, the fantasy, the ringer fantasy football show, I do that two times a week. And, and yeah, I'm just digging into the draft going forward now, too.
0: That's, that's all good. And that's Danny Kelly from the ringer joining us here on School with a Professor. Uh, mm-hmm. Stay safe and uh, watch, watch the end of this football season.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, John.
0: And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.